Hello, I'm Adam. And I'm Nick. <laughs> You're on time. <laughs> that must have been delayed, you know, because I said it right after you. Did you? It was like a pause. Mm. You went, you ready? And then it was like a pause for ages, and then you just went, right, I'm Adam. <laughs> right, you ready? We'll go again. This, 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 Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Hello, I'm Adam. And I'm Nick. And welcome to episode 25 of the Fight Disciples podcast. On this week's show, we've got a new welterweight king in the UFC. Carl Frampton creates history in New York. In favor of the winner by majority decision. And the new WBA featherweight champion of the world, the great Irish champion, Carl the Jackal And this guy's brother is back in the UFC. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. <laughs> You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Before we get cracking, I saw that uh, you were moonlighting last week, hanging out with your mate, Tony D. Oh, yeah, big Tony. Yeah, we got in the studio. It was great. Good to catch up with him. I haven't seen him for ages. Old so, friends, uh, old friends, giving each other a cuddle. I'll tell you, I go on me holidays and what do you do? You move somebody in straight away. No sentimentality exactly. here, is there? Straight in, lad. Definitely not, no. Bizarrely enough, Tony was the first uh, boxer I prof- ever professionally interviewed when I first started in weekly newspapers in Merseyside back in the day. And I'm talking back in the day now, in the 90s. Uh, Tony was the main man. I went round to his house and spoke to him after he'd just come back from winning the Junior Olympics in America. So life went full circle last week, mate. You missed it. How's his leg? It's all right. Yeah, yeah. He's got a pretty ugly scar on there and stuff. So... Uh, I don't think he's he's quite doing much road work at the moment, but it's killing him being out the gym. Yeah. It's mental, you know. I remember Tony back in the day, you know, when he was British champion and when he was, you know, very much on the up, if you like. He's in the, you know, even he accepts he's in the, the, the twilight of his career now, but certainly when he was in his, in his, you know, rising through the ranks, if you like, he hated boxing. He would never go to boxing. He wouldn't really watch it. He would watch the old stuff and he'd watch a bit of tape on opponents every now and again. But, you know, like a fight on Saturday night, you'd be like, oh, did you see the fight Saturday night on Sky? And, no, no, I didn't watch it. No, I was playing on the Xbox. Not interested. <laughs> it's mental. But now he's getting older. He's he into it. appreciates a lot more. Yeah, he's into it a lot more. So, uh, as he pointed out himself, though, he was, you know, he was literally one fight away from getting a European title shot. So, it, it couldn't. We say this all the time. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I hope he does get his chance, and uh, you know, fingers crossed. Absolutely, mate. Um, one of the things that you did preview on last week's uh, podcast was uh, quite a lot of action in the featherweight division. Obviously, in, in Leeds, Josh Warrington yeah. was in action. Then you had the Frampton stuff as well. Now we've got the reaction to all that. I don't know what you made of uh, the Leeds card. I, I was quite disappointed with it, and I think I'm quite disappointed with it because there's so much potential there for, um, for 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 really setting a night on fire. But because certain fighters lack that one-punch knockout power, I kind of leave a little bit 
deflated, even though there's some fantastic technique. I'm, I'm starting maybe with Tyrone Nurse, for example. He looks a million dollars when he fights. Um, yeah. And it was, on paper, a perfect matchup with Boom Boom. I'd say something, that boy's got some passion, and he, Tommy Coyle. But yeah. because Tyrone Nurse doesn't have that knockout power, you knew full well that it was always going the distance. And that disappoints me a little bit. I like to watch a fight where I think to myself, something's going to happen in a minute, something's going to go. And I always knew that it was kind of going to go the distance. Yeah, it was a, a frustrating night, wasn't it? Let's be honest. You know, apart from the main event, um, there just wasn't a lot of action in there. You know, I don't think there was a a single upset on the entire card. You know, the the, the corner that you expected to win won. Mm. Uh, the one, to be honest, the one fight outside of Warrington Highland, which I, which I had a feeling was going to be a little corker. Uh, and I did enjoy that fight, and it was nice to see Josh Warrington put someone away. I'm sure we'll come to that in a minute. Yeah. But the fight, the fight I was looking forward to more than anything. You know, I, I wanted to see Luke, Luke Campbell compete as you know, continue his rehab, if you like, and 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 he did a, a professional job. It wasn't very entertaining, but he did a good job. Uh, Nurse, we just touched on your fire. It's difficult with the little guys, really. But the the one I was really looking forward to was Dillian White versus David Allen, mm. and. It, the only reason being, David Allen talked himself up so much in the build-up to that fight. Yeah, he was telling us he tell us that he boxed rings around Anthony Joshua, Joshua yeah. and all that. And I was like, "Fucking hell, I'll have a piece of this guy." I thought, well, if he's got the balls to go out and and say, "I I bash up Anthony Joshua and spar," and you wait and see see what I do to Dillian White, I was thinking, "Shit, okay, yeah, this guy, this guy could be the business." And, um, didn't turn up, man. Was, he didn't throw a punch. He, he was just a huge, he was human punch bag. You know what I mean? I was thinking to myself, the ref's got to stop this in a minute because first play to him, he does have a chin like granite. But he were, you know what I mean? You can't. Your first line of defense can't be your face. That's just, you know what exactly. I mean? You've got, you've got to chuck something back. And Dillian White was just whacking him for, for, for fun. Fair enough. Yeah. He's hard as nails, and he couldn't take him out of there. Which maybe, you know, I don't know how that looks on Dillian White. But the fight was so one sided, and it was like at one point you're thinking, come on, ref, just call this off because there's no way the kid can win from here. Exactly, and to be honest, if if that David Allen is sparring with Anthony Joshua, the only reason he's sparring with Anthony Joshua is Anthony Joshua, is, as you just pointed out, using him as a punch bag. Because most guys, he has to, he probably has to pay sparring partners a fortune to get yeah. in there with him because he puts them away so often. This David Allen's obviously just a bit of a punch bag and puts himself in harm as well. You know, and he's, I don't know, I, I was just so disappointed because of the build-up heat. I'll be honest, hands up, I've not really heard of David Allen before. No. When this fight got made, I thought, all right, okay, checked his record. All right, okay, yeah, yeah, this guy. And then he sold it. He sold the fight to me during the press conference, during the build-up, yeah. because of what he said he would do. And he just, for him not to turn up at all, that was it. That that really, really peeved me off. But thankfully, I thought the main event on the night made up for it. So. Yeah, surprisingly, because I've never <laughs> been, I think I've said this previously to you, that I'm not the massive fan of Josh Warrington. Now, no. one thing that I like about him is that he has that Ricky Atten thing about him, whereas they come out in their droves. He's got that the football mentality, I suppose, behind him when he's fighting in Leeds. They pay the money, they come and see the boy. He's well supported. If you went to Vegas, he'd take a boatload over. Wherever, if you went on the travels, they'd take a load, and that's a fact. But when I watch him fight, it's that knockout power that I'm looking for, and I don't think he... Previously, I haven't seen him have it. You know what I mean? Most of his fights yeah. go the distance. He's busy, bags of energy. He's flying around the ring and you think, yeah, this is really good. But because there's not that knockout power, I think to myself, I'm not really into this because I know where this fight's going to go. But like yeah. you say, he did finish the kid and you think to yourself, all right, maybe he's growing a little bit. Maybe he's getting a little bit more powerful, even though when you look at the level of opponent, I mean, Allen got put away quite comfortably by uh, Russell Jr. recently, didn't he? And you think to yourself, 
if you go to the elite levels, I think Josh Warrington might fa- be found wanting. Yeah, and you know, to be to be fair to to Paddy Highland as well, you know, the uh, that you could argue really this for this featherweight division. We'll come on to him show with Frampton. It's the best division in British boxing right now, in world boxing right now, because it's so entertaining. I mean, it, it's so competitive in there. There's so many guys who are just outstanding. And losing to Gary Russell Jr. in the fashion that he did, that that's no shame on Paddy. No, not at all. He's, a, he's elite. For Gary me, Russell, Russell Jr. is the best, yeah. Yeah, he, he could well be the best out of the whole lot of them. But, uh, you know, so for me, for Warrington to do that, that was a statement performance from Warrington. That's what he needed. He needed to put a statement out there like that and say to the rest of the featherweight division, I'm here and I'm capable and I can put people away and I'm not just a distance fighter and I bring something to the table. That was a WBC silver or international fight, I think, at the weekend. So that puts him in the frame to fight Gary Russell Jr., you know, as we just mentioned then, he's, he's probably the one guy you don't want to be calling out in that. But, but that said, there's so much intrigue in this division now anyway because of the other champions that are knocking around. Opportunities got to knock for Josh Warrington because what he brings to the table is he's just been he's just been in probably the best performance of his career in his last fight. And as you just pointed out, he probably puts more bums on seats than all of, than the rest of this division. Um, can can do. I almost said together. Then that, that's not true. But there's a lot of guys in this division. <laughs> well, for instance, Lee Selby's. Lee Selby's an outstanding, outstanding world champion, in my opinion. And you know, when he was a little bit more active, I was saying he's the best featherweight in the world. The fact that he's not as active as some of these other guys, and you're only as good as your last fight. And you know, when was his last fight? Uh, you know, it was so earlier this year. He had one fight this year, only two fights last year. He's just not busy enough and. You know, for me, it's like he he can't sell, he doesn't sell a lot of tickets in Wales, as no. we know, which is why he has to travel. So the Warrington fight for him makes perfect sense. Um, up in Leeds, Ellen Road, it's been talked about apparently. It's just whether they might have missed the boat now because the football season's about to start. I don't yeah, know, I think that, that, that but, is but the fact. Yeah. in the mix. Yeah, Warrington is definitely in the mix now. But is he only in the mix with Selby domestically? Because with all due respect, Selby is now probably going to start chasing Frampton. And he? he was in the crowd at the weekend to watch the Frampton fight. The bigger yeah. money for Selby, no disrespect to Warrington, would probably be Frampton because Frampton is huge right now. What he did at the weekend, I mean, that is serious history making, you know, to go to New York City, to do what he did against Leo Santa Cruz, one of the pound for pound best in the world, to become a yeah. two weight world champion, to create history for Irish boxing. He is a big, big deal right now. I don't think he fully understands how big of a deal he is. If he his next fight is in Ireland, you're going to sell that out 10 times over. Yeah. Yeah, if it heads to Belfast, I think that's the only chance. That's when Lee Selby could get a shot. Yeah. That's, that's when his, his opportunity could knock. Um, potentially, even, potentially even Josh Warrington, if they decide to go back to Belfast to cash in. The whole point of fighting in the US, though, the whole point, this is why Frampton's fought there previously, not just last weekend in New York, is because they want to build, you know, McGuigan understands that to make serious money in this sport, you can't be fighting in Belfast, you can't be fighting in Leeds, you've got to be fighting in America, you've got to be fighting in Madison Square Garden and Las Vegas, and that's what they built Frampton into. That win over Santa Cruz at the weekend, that proved he was a global star and a yeah. big draw in America. So for me, the biggest fight out there is the guy we've just spoke about, Gary Russell Jr. You know, if we're that big of fans of Gary Russell Jr. on this side of the Atlantic, surely the US fans can see how big a draw he is as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think that fight would be 
would be, you know, certainly pay per view. What, what do you reckon? It, what do you reckon so. he will be looking at, Frampton? Next, uh, it, do you reckon he'll be bothered about any of them? I mean, there's three that I've got on the list, right? That are legitimate for him. Russell Junior. We've mentioned Selby. We've mentioned, but we haven't mentioned a rematch there with Leo Santa Cruz. Leo Santa Cruz got beat, but he's still an elite fighter, and the fight was that good. I had it seven five in rounds, so therefore yeah. I thought to myself, you know, maybe there is a chance here of a rematch. People would pay to see it because it was so competitive. 100%. You know, it's, it's certainly penciled in at the moment as one of the fights of the year so far. Mm. It's outstanding. You know, and, and bear in mind the fact that Santa Cruz couldn't get into the fight for the first half. Mm. You know, the first five or six rounds, he couldn't get near Frampton. It's the first four rounds. You know, he, Frampton got, had such a strong start. And then from then on, Santa Cruz was chasing his tail. Now, I haven't seen anything come out of that camp yet, but I'm sure the first thing they're going to say is, it was just a bad start from us. We we want the rematch, and you know I I certainly pay to see the rematch. That that could well be the biggest fight out there in that featherweight division. Uh, and the way Frampton will look at it was, you know, we can improve on his performance because you know he went to sleep in the mid to later round. Santa Cruz started to find his range a little bit more, and Frampton had to dig deeper, which is what made it such an entertaining fight. But I think Frampton might go away and think, you know what, I can do a better job than that. Mm. I can really put this put this one away and. These are the fights that that make you. These are the fights that build legacies. That win over Santa Cruz. Going back to Belfast and blowing away Josh Warrington isn't going to do anything for Carl Frampton's legacy because of where Josh Warrington is right now. Yeah. But if he beats a Gary Russell Jr., if he beats a Leo Santa Cruz, if he potentially beats a Lee Selby, they're, they're the ones that build on your legacy. They're the unification fights and they're the big money fights that the American audience want to see. Hmm. No, I totally agree with that. For me, I would go uh, a Leo Santa Cruz rematch. Yeah. Smash him up properly, yeah. like you said. Smash him up properly, dominate for 12 rather than just seven. And yeah. then I would be I would be looking at Gary Russell Jr. Because Selby in the States maybe isn't necessarily the big pull. No. Gary Russell Jr. is. Take that. Take the money. Hopefully do a job on him. If you do a job on him, Selby's always going to be there. Selby needs that. Selby needs Frampton more than Frampton needs Selby right at this moment in time. Even though I still I rate Selby, they call him the Welsh Mayweather. He's a fantastic fighter, but I think with what Frampton did at the weekend, this is the perfect opportunity for him to cash in. And he's been slagged off in the past as Frampton for maybe ducking the likes of Rigo when he was down at Super Bantamweight and all that. But it makes perfect sense. Everything that we've heard from the McGuigan camp, everything we've heard from Frampton, it makes perfect sense. This is a money business now. He's a world champion. It's irrelevant, the belts. He's done that. This is about yeah. making cash and setting his family up for life. And the big money is the exciting fighters in the United States. Rigo can't sell a ticket in the States. No. That's a fact. We know that. That's why he's over here trying to make a name for himself. Yeah, Leo, Santa, exactly. Leo Santa Cruz is a big pay-per-view uh, fighter, at the, uh, which he fought at the weekend. He's done a job on him. Do a job on him again. Then people will start be saying, Gary Russell Jr., let's get it on. And that will sell for fun. The reason I like the Santa Cruz rematch especially is the fact that Santa Cruz, as we know, like Frampton, was a super bantamweight champion yeah. that moved up to featherweight um, for whatever reason, you know, speculate however you like. But he's 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 basically a, a natural super bantam that's built himself up into a featherweight, whereas Gary Russell Jr. is a full-blown featherweight. Mm. You know, he, he he's big at that weight. He's certainly bigger than to Santa be fair, Cruz. Fr- Frampton's, Frampton's a big boy, isn't he? I think he struggled to get down to one two two. Yeah, well, he's he's built wide, isn't he? He's quite yeah. he's quite stocky for his size, but he's certainly not tall. Uh, and hazard a guess, Gary Russell Junior is certainly taller. Plus, Gary Russell Junior is a southpaw as well. Yeah, uh, you know, so that that just adds a, a second element to it. 
that for me that you know that's the number one spot fight you know that whoever wins that fight you know probably Frampton's probably the number one now let's be honest because Santa Cruz was probably ranked number one prior to that fight so let's call Frampton what he is and that's the number one at the moment but from a fight fan's perspective that that's the number one fight now whoever wins that out to Gary Russell Jr. and Frampton that's the number one player at a, a feather, in the featherweight division. But yeah, that that fight at the weekend, you know, it's the start. The start Frampton made was just outstanding. You know, he was absolutely brilliant, and I was I, I was so impressed by the whole game plan, the whole way they approached that fight. You know, the biggest fight of his career, Madison Square Garden, headlining. You know, Santa Cruz got the whole Mexican fans behind him. He's, he lives in California. You've got the US fans. But Franson just took it to him, you know. It was like, a, I'm the guy moving up a weight class, but I'm the guy that's going to dominate this fight. His footwork, his head movements, you know, that lead right hand that he kept popping out. That For me, that was the best Carl Franson we've seen. And the indicators are that he's just getting started. He's going to get better. He's going to hit harder. So it's, uh, but the rematch, I'd love to see the rematch. You know, I get why Santa Cruz can't want the rematch. You know, he got caught with that big shot in the second round, which could have upset his equilibrium for a couple of rounds, which is why Frampton had that terrific start. Then Santa Cruz came back into it. And then, you know, I thought Frampton came on strong again in the last round, especially just to try and push his nose across the line. But, uh, but yeah, what a fight. Surely that's got Vegas written all over it. This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes store. In the UFC, we've got a brand spanking new welterweight champion. Did you see this coming? Be honest. Yes. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, no shit. Check my timeline. Check my Facebook timeline. Fair play, mate. Well, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I yeah. thought ruthless Robbie Lawler would do a job on him. I just thought it would be a little bit too much uh, for Tyron Woodley. And I probably tarred him with the same brushes that I tar all the wrestlers we. However, I underestimated how much power he's got in his right hand. Hell of a punch. Yeah, incredible. It was... Uh, I, I, I knew it was going to go... If it was going to go, it was going to go early. You know, there's just there was no way that he was that Woodley was gonna. He's just too big. He's too muscular. He's got too much lactic acid burning around in the, in that huge you know wrestler's frame that he's got to last five rounds at the kind of pace that Robbie Lawler likes to fight at. So I knew he was going to come out and he was going to give Lawler hell for two for two rounds. Well, it was cagey, wasn't it? When they, when they came out, they didn't touch each yeah. other for a good 30, 40, 50 seconds. I'm thinking, are they going to have a do here or what? And then he tried, didn't he? Woodley tried to get in and they went up against the cage and you're thinking to yourself, it's going to be a bit of a cagey affair, this. And then all of a sudden, two and a half minutes in, bang. Big right hand over the top. Quickest one in a, in a welterweight championship uh, fight that in the UFC history. Quickest ever, yeah. I think it was two minutes, 12 seconds of the mm. first round. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I, I just, I always fancied Lawler, be, uh, Woodley, because yes, he was coming in after the 18-month layoff. Yes, people were starting to question why he got this why he was getting this title shot when the likes of Wonderboy are doing well and Carlos Condit's back in the frame and obviously Nick, Nick Diaz has now re-emerged and whatever else. So it was like, it was just like a perfect storm of this is going to happen here because it, it, it's just the way UFC seems to have gone at the moment. 
belts changing hands left, right and centre, all these crazy stories floating around, these titles. And uh, you know, don't forget, these these two guys that have trained together, these are teammates at American Top Team in, in Florida. You know, so that that was why there was so much respect early on. Yeah. I think we both kind of thought, like, you're a fucking killer. You hit like a free train, so I'm going to kind of stay a little bit cagey. Ultimately, I think Robbie Lawler just gave Woodley's power too much respect. You know, he was mo- to move back in a straight line like that and to, to, to receive a long right hand over the top. What else was Woodley going to do? You know, that was obviously what he was going to do. He's going to try and maybe close the distance by uh, by throwing a couple of leg kicks and fighting a shot, shot or two. But ultimately, that right hand, that straight right hand over the top of a jab, that was always going to be Woodley's money shot. And all for me, all Team Law had to do was just sidestep for the first two rounds. Don't go back in a straight line. And then take him where his, you know, where his, his size, his muscular frame would basically work against them. But they just, you know, they never got that far into it. It was unbelievable, mate. Absolutely unbelievable. And once again, we've got a brand spanking new champion. Every time there is a main it's event, mental, every it? time there's it's a main mental. event, there's a belt that changes hands. It's crackers. It's mental. I think that's like seven weight divisions or whatever. I've got new champions. Oh, we've got seven new champions this year in the UFC. We're only in August. I know. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. But uh, I'll tell you what you is know, good. I'll tell you what I is good regarding Robbie it. Lawler. I'm a Robbie Lawler fan. You know, I know you're a massive Robbie Lawler fan as well. You know, I was enjoying his reign as a welterweight champion. But from a fan's perspective, I fucking love the fact the belt changed hands. No, absolutely. Well, the best thing Class. about this, the best thing about this is now, right, is because it, it just seems that there's a lovely little story now, right, riding around in the UFC. Let's go back 18 months. 18 months ago, there was a certain Diaz brother that ended up getting banned for, uh, let's just say, smoking a little bit of pipe, all right? He gets himself banned. They ban him for five years as a bit of a kickoff. Then that gets reduced to 18 months. 18 months yeah. later... Thanks for Cher. Remember Cher was one of the people... <laughs> yeah, Cher yeah, kicked off, yeah. Free Nick Diaz. <laughs> 18 months later, near enough to the day, Tyron Woodley takes on Robbie Lawler, knocks him clean out. Robbie Lawler's only other previous knockout defeat in the UFC was against who? Nick Diaz, of course. Two days later, Nick Diaz is free. He's capable of now fighting in the UFC. His mixed martial arts career can resume. What does Tyron Woodley do straight away? He goes for the Jerry Maguire. That's what we call it here at the Fight Disciples. He goes for the show me the money. It's time for Cuba Gooding Jr. to do his thing. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it with you with me, then, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not, not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yes. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother. But you got to yell that shit. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Nick, I want your ass and I want it in 21 days at the UFC 202. I'll tell you something. Yeah, exactly. It might not happen at UFC 202. It might be too short notice because obviously Diaz's younger brother, Nate, is taking on Conor McGregor, part two of their escapade. It might be a little yeah. bit too short notice, but Tyron Woodley has laid down the foundations now. He wants that fight and rightfully so. He's the champ. It's all about the dollar now. Everybody will pay big money to see Nick Diaz back in there, probably in the top three welterweights of all time, would you say? Um, well, you can say it. I'll say it then. I'll say it. Lola's obviously my main man, but I'll go with I'll go with Nick Diaz being in the top three. 
that people are going to pay money. They are going to spend yeah. the hard-earned cash to see the new champ take on the the boy who's after retribution. That is a big, big money fight. Tyron Woodley can retire beautifully, and what a fight that will be for the fight fans. Well, yeah, you know, and Tyron Woodley's not daft, obviously. He realises that he's worked so hard to get to this world title belt. He wants to cash in now. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've talk, spoke earlier on this show about being a draw and, you know, being a ticket seller and what, how much value that brings to the table. Woodley on his own isn't necessarily the biggest ticket seller at welterweight and certainly isn't Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. But Nick Diaz is. Fucking George St. Pierre is. Yeah. You know, and, and, if, and if Conor McGregor does get revenge over Nick Diaz in a couple of weeks' time, you better believe Woodley will be fucking quite happy to fight Conor McGregor at welterweight as well. Imagine so if they uh, pull it off. Imagine if they can pull it off. UFC two or two, both Diaz brothers on that bill. It's not. It's certainly not impossible. You know, it's it's not like Woodley's hurt. He only fought for two minutes and twelve seconds. Yeah. So he's only got a grazed knuckle. Uh, yeah, exactly. So Woodley's obviously game. The thing with Woodley as well, he's not daft. Woodley knows he's got to get another fight in quick because Woodley's all already signed up to film the latest Spider-Man movie. Mm. So he's, because he's got a bit of a side, that's why he was out for 18 months. He was out for 18 months, not because he was suspended or injured, but he was making movies. He was in uh, Straight Outta Compton. Yeah. He was in some 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 Bollywood action movie. You know, he's got a decent sideline in, in, the, in the movie business. So he's actually filming, I think he's filming right now, actually, the, the film in Spider-Man Retribution or some crap. The latest Spider-Man movie, anyway, and he's he's in that right now. So he'll be looking to have another fight before the end of the year, before he gets tied up in more movie kind of roles and stuff. So uh, listen, that Nick Diaz fight is not out of the equation. But one thing the UFC are gonna have learned pretty quickly, certainly with the with Nate's latest last performance, is the Diaz brothers won't fight for free no more. The Diaz brothers want to be paid because Nate Diaz. I'm telling you now, Nate Diaz will be getting a lot of money to fight Conor McGregor in a straight rematch. A lot of money. It may not be Conor McGregor money, but it'll be fucking the best paycheck of his life. So the Diaz brothers now have seen what their actual true value is, what their true worth is. And the fact that Tyron Woodley has won the welterweight title said no, basically turned down flat the leading contender, but called out the guy that's coming back for an 18-month suspension from marijuana, who hasn't won a fight in the UFC in about four years. That says it all about Nick Diaz's pulling power in regards to pay-per-view pounds, and mm-hmm. that's obviously why Woodley wants him out. And we want to see it, let's be honest. What do you want to see next? Woodley versus Diaz or Woodley versus Wonderboy Thompson? As wonderful as Wonderboy is. There's only one fight for me, man. Exactly, man. We want to see the fucking Diaz's fighting for titles because <laughs> they're mental. It's class. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Finally, just before we clear off, Olympics gets underway this weekend in Rio. And obviously one of our boys who we've had on recently, Anthony Fowler, is uh, participating for Team GB. We wish him all the best with that. Keep an eye on him. Uh, any other standouts that you're uh, keeping an eye on, especially from Team GB, Nick? Um, Nicola Adams, of course. You know, how can, she's the darling of the Team GB anyway. I think she'll probably be carrying the, uh, carrying the flag out um, after winning gold. She won gold in London, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, so- going for the double golder. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if, if Nicola's certainly not in the mix at the end of it and uh and I also like the look of that Joey Cordina as well. He looks like a good kid, so I fancy him to go far. And there's a kid called Muhammad Ali, 
believe it or not, and I fancy Muhammad Ali to do well. It's got to be the year of Muhammad Ali, hasn't it, my man? <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's got, if he can't do it this year, you know, there's, there's no year he's going to do it. So fingers crossed. He does Next time with the Fight Disciples. Make sure you download next week's podcast because it will be an Olympic special as the boxing yeah. gets underway this Saturday. Uh, thank you very much for downloading this particular episode. If you don't subscribe, get yourself on iTunes, search Fight Disciples, you know what to do, and if you can leave us a five-star review, we'd be forever in your day. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.